the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 40 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. State planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, broadcasting from my office in the Cambrian Park area of San Jose. I'd like to start the show today by giving a shout-out to my old friend John Taylor, who is the composer of American Millennium, which is the music that you hear every time my show starts and the music that you hear uh, during the show and at the very end. Um, fabulous composer, great guy, and uh, I've known him for <clears throat> many, many years now. I mean, I'm trying to think back how long it's been. It's been, you know, well over 40 years. I knew him when he was a kid. I've known him as an adult, just a great guy. If you look for the album Moonlight by uh, John Taylor, <clears throat> you can actually get that music yourself. He's got uh, it's a fabulous album. He's a fabulous keyboardist, composer, and uh, vocalist as well. So uh, this particular song I use for my show, uh, I use it with his permission and blessing. And it has been my show music for over four years now. And I'm uh, glad to say that, that I have been broadcasting uh, that much time there. It's kind of... Uh, Amazing to me to consider, but here we are as I'm in my fifth year of Plan Your Estate Radio. There are a lot of changes going on in in my practice. Um, I am expanding my practice in various ways and pulling back other parts of my practice. I'm doing a major restructuring of my law practice so that I can free up more time to work with people and more time to spend with my family as I look ahead to my daughters uh, graduating two weeks from today from middle school. Uh, yes, I'm an old dad. I have uh, young daughters. I got started late in life, but uh, they are an absolute joy to have. And I'm very excited as they finish middle school, head into the summer, and then in the fall head off to high school, which I'm really looking forward for them. I think they're going to thrive in high school. And uh, I'm hopeful that after four years of high school, they will graduate and be fully formed, forward-thinking, intelligent um, young ladies 
and able to actually face the world with confidence and strength. And that's what I hope for them as their dad. And their mom hopes for that as well. So I'm going to follow my usual format today, but I will throw out that I can take calls on the air uh, if you would like. I have an engineer standing by who can route your call to me uh, during the show. The number is 800-516-1220. That's 1220 800-516-1220. If you'd like to call in today and ask me an estate planning-related question, on the air. I'm happy to take your call on the air. It's been a while since I had someone on the air, and I'd love it if someone called in with their question. But I'm going to uh, continue now today with my usual format, which is to cover questions and uh, comments from around the state of California. Uh, these are actual situations that people are facing here in various parts of California. And I share these because I have found that many times hearing a story about somebody going through something that's similar to what you're going through can actually make you realize that you're not alone, maybe that your situation is not as unique as you thought it was, and that there may actually be some solutions to fix the situation that you're in, in the area of estate planning. So I'm going to start first with one out of Apple Valley, California. Person says, my father had a living trust uh, with me, his son, as the successor trustee. I'm now the successor because my father has passed. There were no other beneficiaries of my father's trust other than me. Pretty straightforward. I'm getting ready to transfer his house into my name and finalize the distribution of the trust. Question, do I have to first transfer the title to myself as the successor trustee um, in order to um, then transfer the property to myself as the beneficiary of the trust? Said it seems like it's an extra step that's unnecessary. Um, it says, I've already filed the affidavit of death of the trustee. That would be the father. And that actually means that um, if that's the case, part of the affidavit of the death of a trustee or change of a trustee is that the new trustee is often named in that affidavit. And that would act to clear the title of the property into the name of the new trustee, in this case, the successor trustee, who's the son of the person that owned the trust. And now they would be on the title as the trustee of the trust. A person says he doesn't want to uh, foul up the parent-to-child claim for uh, exclusion from real property taxes. Um, uh, he wants to make sure that's not messed up. Uh, depending on whether it's going to be his residence or not, meaning the son's residence or not, uh, there may be an exclusion from reassessment or there may be no exclusion at all. The parent-to-child exclusion may not apply at all. It pretty much depends when the father died. But as far as procedurally what you would do, you'd want to clear the title 
into, into your name as the successor trustee of the trust and then transfer the property out of the trust to yourself as the new owner of the property. Um, that would be the transfer that an assessor is going to look at uh, because just taking over as the trustee is not considered a change in ownership by itself. But transferring the property out of the trust is the change in ownership, and that's what the assessor's office would look at. So it's kind of hard to say exactly whether there will be an exclusion from reassessment without more information. But depending on the status of the son and whether he's going to live in his father's home as his own personal residence or not, that will um, have a lot to do with whether or not there is a reassessment of the property taxes. Okay, let me take a look here. Okay, here we've got uh, one quick one before we, uh, before we, uh, as we start approaching the first uh, break of the show today, the first commercial break. <clears throat> here in California, Rancho Palos Verdes, California. Three sisters have inherited property from their parents. Um, a brother-in-law is not listed in the trust as a beneficiary. My sister is the successor trustee. Uh, and I assume that's the person married to the brother-in-law. Does my brother-in-law have any say in my parents' trust? Short answer, heck no. He's not a beneficiary. He's not a, an heir, natural or otherwise. He, he was a son-in-law. He, no, he doesn't have boo to say about anything because it's not his family. It's not his inheritance. It's none of the above. So we're coming up on the first break of the show today. When we come back, I'll continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is attorney Bob Bergman, your host. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. And we're back for the second segment of our show today. Uh, this is uh, not a real long segment, but I'm going to dive right in. Uh, if you would like to call and ask a question of me on the air, live on the air, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800 516 1220, and I'm happy to take your question on the air. But let's go on to this one out of San Diego. My mother passed away and left my two brothers and myself her assets, including her home, which is paid off. Both my brothers and myself, my oldest brother being the trustee of the trust, agree that we would prefer someone live in the house rather than it be left vacant. We also want to fix the house up before we decide to sell it. We'd like our nephew to live there, not only as a security measure, but to also help with some minor repairs, etc. We all agree my mother would approve wholeheartedly to have her grandson live there. But he's not in a position to afford the, quote, fair market rent. My mother's accountant is saying we cannot do that. Is this true? If all the beneficiaries agree... We still cannot allow my nephew to stay in the house so it's not left vacant. 
I don't know where the accountant is coming from on this one, unless the accountant is somehow worried about um, the um, letting the nephew stay there be somehow be a gift of some kind to him, <clears throat> and uh, and that there might be some potential gift tax consequences. I would consider that to be pretty trivial uh, because each one of these um, new owners of the property could leave $15,000 of value of property per year to the nephew without there being any gift tax consequence. And um, I would assume that, you know, that's $45,000 a year. That might be pretty close to what what the rent might be. Uh, but if he's moving in there and acting as a caretaker and doing some repairs and things like that, they're now the owners of the house, especially if they take the house out of the trust and now they just own it directly. They can pretty much do whatever they want with it. And I think any potential tax issues would be trivial at best. So the accountant is probably just thinking from an accountancy standpoint. Um, I'm an attorney. I look at the practicality of things, not the accounting standpoint, because I'm not a CPA. And I would tell them, yeah, you can do this. You might want to have some kind of agreement with the nephew, some kind of rental agreement that indicates that um, he is uh, being permitted to live there Um basically uh, acting as a caretaker and doing minor repairs and things like that, maybe being responsible for the utilities, uh, the water and stuff and stuff like that. Um, but really, people do this all the time. Uh, people have family members that are that are living in properties without paying any rent or paying minimal rent. And for the most part, those kinds of things are not really going to be of interest to the Internal Revenue Service, especially when it's a close family like this. So I, I wouldn't be tremendously concerned about um, something like this being done by these three brothers. Okay, out of Los Angeles. Person says, I'm considering accepting power of attorney role for my brother who's in a convalescent home in California. He's not sufficiently mobile to get around to do things for himself, doesn't have access to a computer, and has no phone in the room. My understanding is that the power of attorney basically allows me to make decisions on his behalf. Uh, this is financial decisions, by the way, and can sign documents on his behalf. I'm hoping it doesn't also mean that the power of attorney agent, namely me, is also personally responsible for and taking on any liabilities that the principal has, meaning my brother. In other words, I'm hoping none of my brother's creditors, if any exist, can come after me. Can you please comment and provide advice on the concern that I have? Well, the short answer is this. If you're acting under a power of attorney as somebody's agent, you're acting on their behalf, not your personal behalf. Which means if there's any creditors coming after the brothers who's in the convalescent home, 
they can only go after the brother's assets. Uh, they can't go after the assets of the brother or sister that's acting as the agent under the power of attorney of the disabled brother. Um, that would be, uh, I mean, if that were somehow allowed, you would find people very unwilling to ever be an agent for somebody. It's going to be similar if someone is the trustee of a trust where the trust has assets belonging to someone else other than the trustee. Uh, the trustee of the trust is not personally liable for debts of the trust or debts of the person who created the trust. And the person holding a power of attorney is not personally liable for creditors' claims or debts of the person, the principal, that's the person that granted the power of attorney in the first place. So I wouldn't be too concerned about that. Out of Sacramento, California, person says, I'm the trustee of my mother's trust, and the grandkids gave a big uh, wake and dinner after the funeral. Is this my bill? So it says, this is out of Sacramento, California. Most grandkids were not in the trust, so it's creating a problem. They decided on everything regarding food, location, everything else. In other words, the grandkids set everything up for grandma after the funeral. So the trustee who took over says, do I have to foot this bill? Her funeral was already paid and dinner was being held at her house by the family. Can I be sued for this? Well, let me just say this about that. If you're the trustee of the trust and family members on their own unilaterally decided to throw a big wake and dinner after grandma's funeral, good for them. Good for them. But but just because you're the trustee of grandma's trust doesn't mean that you agreed to foot the cost for all of that. If the expectation was that you were going to foot the cost, they should have come to you and say, this is what we propose to do. And you as the trustee could agree to that as long as all of the beneficiaries of the trust agreed to that. Because you can't just automatically just spend a bunch of money on a big party after someone's died uh, if there is, in fact, beneficiaries of the trust who might object to those monies being spent. So that would be kind of what I'd say about that. Coming up on the mid-show break, when we return... I will have more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. I'll see you on the other side of the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. So, good afternoon. Welcome to the second half of the show. I've been informed that I have a caller I think Ernest from Mountain View, is that correct? Are you on the air, Ernest? Uh, yes, sir. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. Oh, um, please don't call me sir. Call me Bob. Um, okay. So, Ernest, uh, why why did you feel compelled to pick up the phone and call an estate planning well, attorney this afternoon? Yeah, so um, I've been 
I, I heard you first a while back when it was too late um, to file for the proper uh, property proposition 19 um, mm-hmm. uh, exemption and everything. And then how uh, about going to the Jarvis thing and trying to get the vote to be changed. And I heard all that stuff. But uh, my question was, um, you said earlier about us establishing permanent residence, and I've been checking up on that um, State Board of Equalization. And um, so I kind of don't really understand the jargon that comes from there uh, about establishing permanent residence. Like, I know that we can establish permanent, permanent residence for one uh, sibling, but um, I'm kind of confused if uh, my parents' estate, um, my parents' uh, house is... Uh, given in the trust to all siblings, um, but we plan on keeping it, if that's possible, to keep under the same tax rule before uh, getting, not getting reassessed. Can one child live in the house, or does it have to be all of them? Okay, excellent question, and it's something that, that um, there's still a lot of discussion going on and debate, and the Board of Equalization is still trying to sort out a lot of that. But the short answer is this. Let's say there's five children and they all inherit mom's house. And they want to keep mom's house as a rental, for example. But they also want to avoid reassessment of the property taxes. The only way they can avoid reassessment of the property taxes and, and setting aside the the dollar limits that there's dollar limits on how much you can avoid reassessment. But just let's just assume that let's assume that the house the market value is less than the assessed value when mom died plus a million dollars. We'll just assume that. They would all have to move into the house as their personal residence. If only one moves in and they had equal shares, then only that twenty percent or one fifth interest of the one that moved in as their personal residence would be excluded from reassessment. The other 80% or four-fifths would be reassessed. So it's not that you avoid reassessment if any child moves in as their residence. It's everybody, every child has to move in. Now, if it's in a trust... It may be possible if the trust has sufficient other assets to to pay, say, the four that don't want to keep the residence. There there are ways that it can a, a transaction can be structured if there's sufficient other assets to actually transfer the house to one child where it would then perhaps qualify for the exclusion from reassessment while the other children get cash or stocks or bonds or mutual funds. Um, that's uh, more complicated than I can really answer on a call like this. But suffice it to say that as a practical matter, if if a number of siblings, if they want to keep the property, it's going to be reassessed. That's That's what Prop 19 did. Did that answer that for you? Yeah, you sure did. And so then even if it was three, it would still be the percentage of the three that lived in there as permanent uh, residents. And then, the, then as you're saying, it would be a, per, a percentage increase. I mean, um, on the reassessment, right? Uh, even if yeah, wh- whatever, share, whatever share was inherited by a child who was not 
it was, and it was not their residence or didn't become their residence, that's going to get reassessed. I have a kind of unusual situation here in Santa Clara County. I'm going to be commencing a probate where actually the uh, mother died many years ago, but they never actually went through probate. Um, and it's going to be passing to her two sons, but both of them live in the property and have lived in the property all along. So it's a very unusual situation that two brothers are going to be uh, getting mom's house eventually transferred to them. And uh, in their case, Prop 19 actually doesn't apply because their mother died before Prop 19 took effect. But even if she had died, say, six months ago, um, they would qualify for at least some exclusion from reassessment because it's their residence. Kind of an unusual situation. You don't see very often where you've got multiple siblings living in the family home. But it does happen occasionally. And and in their case, um, like I said, they're not subject to Prop 19 because the mother died before the effective date, which was February 16th of last year. From that, is, is that that meant? Is that what that meant? That that or uh, that answer? Is that what that meant on that one? For them, that they were being well, exempt because the mother died before. For them, because it was the it was the residence, and the mother died before the effective date of Proposition 19, they were under the prior law, which is Proposition 58. Correct. The one that we operated uh, okay. on for many, many years, and uh, right. and so and there's people today that you know they're just now realizing we need to do something, and they're worried, uh, worried about losing the exclusion until they find out it it didn't apply in their case because the parent passed away before. A lot of people oh, think yeah. it's, a lot of people think it's well when you transfer the property that's the effective date and. And then if it was after February 16th of 2021, we're going to get reassessed. And it's, no, that's not what the date is. The date is the date of death, even if the actual transfer on the t of the title on the record doesn't take place until several months later or even years later. Um, uh -huh. So it, it's a confusing law. It's caused a lot right. of confusion. It's caused a lot of problems for people, um, and and especially for families that had no idea that they were going to be uh, hit with something like this, because um, yeah, I well, found because, out. Yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah, a no. very bad situation. And the Howard Jarvis uh, organization tried. Uh, we we did the best we could, but they were able to collect about half the. Uh, signatures that they needed to get it put on the ballot. But that doesn't mean that they're going to stop. Um, I'm sure they're going to come back stronger and stronger as many times as they need until it can get on the ballot and get reversed because it's um, it's a horrible, horrible proposition. And, uh, and the people who are behind promoting it should be ashamed of themselves. And, and, and I'm, I'm unequivocal about that. Larry Stone did was actually part of some sort of writing on Proposition 58 and with the realtors, the Board of Realtors or something? 
Oh, yeah. You mean Larry right, well, Stone, the assessor of Santa Clara County? Yeah, yeah, he was on YouTube. Because uh, I've been trying to follow all kinds of different things, trying to get this, uh, get more information, because the paperwork that you get from the State Board of Equalization, um, like I said, it's, it's clear, but it's kind of hard to understand what's going on or if there is any way of uh, not... Oh, yeah, I... Uh, I mean, I can tell you I, I belong to various forums online of um, of estate planning attorneys uh, throughout the state. One's with my organization, the Los Angeles County, Orange County Bars. I belong to them as well because they're, they're large bar associations and they talk about these things. And the questions that come up, it's a constant stream of questions from practitioners about fact situations and... Is there a reassessment? Is there not? Can we avoid it? Can we not? Is there anything we can do? The bottom line is the the bar, uh, the estate planning attorney bar throughout the state is uh, up in arms and confused. And there's even contrary opinions among attorneys. It's uh, And there's contrary opinions among assessors' offices as well as to what does the law really mean. And so it, it's really kind of crazy, Ernest. I, I, I can tell you that it's caused a, a major problem throughout the state. And the best thing we could do is is reverse the whole thing and go back to where we were, where everyone understood what the rules are, and it was very straightforward. And now it's just a, a hot mess. Absolutely a hot mess. Factor that that it. Something will be done. Just too bad, though. The other people, a lot of people now have have sell their homes. And my my dad built his home in Sunnyvale um, with his brothers. Uh, they all built the, their homes, and you know, so it has sentimental value. And um, sure, if it gets reassessed, yeah, you know, it could be, you know, twenty. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. You know, a home in Sunnyvale, you could you could see the assessed value go up by hundreds of percent. Five, six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred percent. That's uh, that's the problem with Prop 19. Is it's it's going to it's going to price some people out of the home maybe they were raised in and lived in their whole lives because they don't have the financial ability to now suddenly turn around and pay another ten, twelve, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in property taxes because they don't have a job that would enable them to do that. So, Ernest, thank you for calling in. We're we're coming up on the, on the third break in the show today. And, again, thank you for calling in. Great question um, because I'm sure it's one that actually affects many people out there either now or it's going to affect them in the future when a parent passes away and leaves their personal residence. So we're coming up on the final break of the show today. When we come back, I'll take it home here on Plan Your Estate Radio. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back for the final segment of our show today. I want to thank Ernest from Mountain View for calling in in the prior segment and asking a question about uh, Proposition 19 and exclusion from reassessment of the transfer of a parent's property after death to multiple siblings. Uh, if you listen to that segment, you'll realize that um, that in most cases, 
unless there's just one child who moves into it as their home or you have multiple children and they all decide, let's all live together in mom or dad's house, um, you're probably going to look at at least a partial reassessment and in many cases 100% reassessment, even of a personal residence. And prior to Prop 19 taking effect in middle of February of 2021, it would have been a completely different answer. Uh, The personal residence would have been able to be transferred onto the children with no reassessment at all. They could have kept the property as a rental, um, maybe kept it as a rental for a couple of years before deciding to sell later, uh, fixing it up, selling it, and then cashing out at a later date. But that's not really an option now unless uh, families are willing to pay often significantly higher real property taxes to retain the parent's residence. I've already seen in the last year people who've come to me and we have determined that the property tax bill for the property that they're inheriting is going to go up by $25,000 in property taxes per year. Over $2,000 a month more in property tax over what the parent was paying. I've seen where the parent was paying a couple thousand dollars a year in property taxes, but because of where the property was located and how valuable it was when the parent died, the property tax bill has gone up a thousand percent or more. And uh, most people are going to turn around and they're just going to sell that property and let somebody else buy the property and let somebody else pay those high property taxes. Um, It might make more sense in many cases to sell that property, cash out, not pay the higher property taxes, and then take the money that you made from the sale. If you want to be a landlord, you might want to consider going and buying properties in other states, not in California. Uh, California has become with Prop 19 has become extremely hostile towards people owning not only a personal residence, but also people owning rental property in the state, especially if a family's looking at having the property taxes suddenly jump just because a parent passed away. Um, and, and that's what's happening all over the state and has been for the last 14, uh, last 15 months or so. And the problem is probably just going to get worse before it gets better. The only way it could get better is if the voters are able to vote on a new proposition that repeals that aspect of Proposition 19. So watch out. The next time a proposition comes around to to be put on the ballot to repeal 19, I will be promoting that on my show, letting everybody know how they can get involved and, and I would urge you to get involved. If you're a homeowner and you want to leave your home to your kids without them having to pay more taxes, get involved. If you're the kids standing to inherit that home and maybe that rental portfolio that the parents spent 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years accumulating with a lot of hard work and a lot of sleepless nights and fixing toilets at two in the morning, Um, things like my parents did putting together a real estate portfolio over the years. 
if you're concerned about that, when the next opportunity comes around, get involved. To keep track of things, you can go to the How Harvest Jar. Sorry, let's try that again. Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. H-J-T-A dot org. I think it's dot O-R-G. And you can sign up. They have like an emailing list to keep track of the things that they're doing. And you can sign up to be a volunteer the next time this comes around. Um, and to even be a source where people can pick up petitions and and all those kinds of things. So that would be the next step, which is um, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. You can keep track of it there. Okay, so I've got uh, one more, I think one more question and comment from around the state, and then I think we may pretty much wrap it up for the day today. A person said, I'm the sole beneficiary to my father's estate, as listed in his trust, but he didn't put his house back into the trust after the last time he refinanced and he has sent passed away. Now, those of you out there, you know what's next. Hegstad petition. That's right. Person wants to know, what should I expect to pay a lawyer to take care of the Hegstad petition? This is in Sacramento, California. I'll tell you what, it's all over the map. You may find a few thousand to, I've heard, as much as $10,000 in Los Angeles coming out of some law firms there. I'm somewhere in in between a couple thousand and 10,000. But I also move fast, and I've helped a lot of families over the year. I've got at least two of those petitions going right now, pretty much two at any given time. All right. So... Have fun this weekend. Have a great weekend. Until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose. 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.